Welcome back to CoreEM, the official podcast of the NYU Bellevue Emergency Medicine Residency Program. I'm Brian Gilberti. And I'm Breed C. So a lot of people in the city and even in our department are preparing for the marathon as this is being recorded. And by the time this is uploaded, you will be status post a New York City marathon, Bree. So congratulations. Thanks, Brian. I'm hoping I don't end up in your medical tent with my first post-baby marathon. So, yeah, every one of these marathons sees millions of feet strike the pavement. So what better time to review one of the most common injuries that runners deal with? Ankle sprains. This is such a common injury, and there are so many cringeworthy examples throughout the world of sports. In fact, this is considered, as you said, the most commonly injured joint in sports, with jogging being the most common activity in one review. And it doesn't just stop there. Even lay people and accident-prone people are susceptible. Yeah, no one is safe. And part of that is because it's such an ambitious joint. The talus fits snugly between the distal fibula and tibia, making up a mortise. And it's all wrapped up in many ligaments that are mainly comprised of the medial deltoid ligament, syndesmosis, and finally, the downfall of many athletes, the anterior talofibular ligament, or the ATFL. You're exactly right. This one is going to be the cause of a lot of hobbling. And in fact, injuries to the ATFL account for 85% of all ankle sprains. Part of that is because this is the weakest of all ligaments. And another part of it is the mechanism. So when we roll our ankle, we invert it and not evert it, which injures the ATFL. Exactly. So ATFL sprains are the ones that we'll focus on today. But to round out the other two common types, one, medial ankle sprains, Those are much less common because the ligaments that make up this complex are much stronger than the ATFL, and the aversion plus or minus the forced external rotation that was required is uncommon. Secondly, there are the high ankle sprains or injuries to the syndesmosis. These are usually seen in collision sports like football or soccer. Some recent celebrity victims of the high ankle sprain include Saquon Barkley and Steph Curry. Okay, so let's talk about how we categorize these injuries. Yeah, so the grading system is pretty straightforward. You can have a grade one through grade three sprain. And it's important to get a feel for those because this will determine how we treat these. So a grade one has mild swelling, tenderness, and there is no instability, and they're able to bear weight. These are without, quote-unquote, macroscopic tearing. Now, for grade two sprains, these will have moderate swelling and tenderness and some instability and some loss of range of motion. There will also be some difficulty with ambulating or bearing weight. These represent partial tears to the ligament. And finally, grade three are, as you guessed it, the severe ones with extensive swelling, ecchymosis, tenderness, and they can have some mechanical instability. And patients cannot bear weight with these injuries. These are due to complete rupture of the ligaments. Okay, so that's pretty straightforward. Grade one, two, and three. I think this grading clues us into what we should be looking for on exam. Swelling ecchymosis, tenderness, mechanical stability, and ability to bear weight. Brian, what else should we be focusing on during the exam? So I'm an admirer of the auto anchor rule, and these cases by and large are when we should be using this rule. I say that because there's overlap between the mechanisms that cause ankle fractures and ankle sprains. So to review, you want to palpate to see if there's any tenderness over the posterior edge of the lateral male, the medial male, the base of the fifth metatarsal, the navicular bone, And finally, assess for inability to bear weight and take four steps immediately after the accident or in the ED. This has a sensitivity of nearly 100%, so it's pretty good at ruling out fractures. Yeah, the auto anchor rule is one of the best validated tools we use in emergency medicine and one of my home country's many contributions to modern medicine. So 
Another fracture that we really don't want to miss is the Maisonneuve fracture, a break in the proximal third of the fibula combined with an unstable ankle injury. So, when examining your patients, be sure to palpate along the proximal fibula. These Maisonneuve fractures are associated with syndesmotic injuries, so another test you can do is the squeeze test. This, as the name suggests, is just squeezing the calf right above the ankle joint. If this elicits pain, it's considered a positive test, and it's poorly sensitive but reasonably specific, about 88%, for an injury of the syndesmosis. Any other maneuvers we can try, Brian? Well, there are a lot, but uh, one that's probably the most relevant is the anterior drawer test. So before we go into this any further, the utility of these maneuvers is pretty limited in the acute phase because the exam is limited by swelling and pain. Now, that being said, with the anterior drawer test, anterior subluxation of the talus from the tibia is suggestive of an acute rupture of the ATFL. And then if you're concerned that there may be an injury to the Achilles tendon, you can do the Thompson test and see by squeezing the calf if there's appropriate plantar flexion of the ankle. And while we're talking about it, you can also put an ultrasound probe on the affected Achilles and see if there's any sonographic evidence of a rupture. Ultrasound is pretty good at picking up these types of injuries. Great. So that wraps up the pertinence for the exam, which will guide us with which imaging is required. It's going to be mainly x-rays of the ankle, and if there's a concern for a Maisonneuve, we should definitely get imaging of the entire tib-fib. Ultrasound has been emerging as a modality for evaluating potential Achilles tendon ruptures and ankle sprains, but it's not quite ready for prime time yet. So we do our exam, we're able to classify our ankle sprain, and we do not think that there is an associated fracture. Bree, what are you recommending to all of your ankle sprains, and where do we have to tailor our care a bit more? Okay, so everyone can get rice instructions. Ideally, you want to start within 24 hours of the injury and can continue for the first two days or until the swelling improves. It's really important to specify the duration of how long they should apply ice because I have seen some frostbite due to people overdoing it here. So tell them ice for 15 to 20 minutes every two to three hours. Next, I remember that patients take NSAIDs if not contraindicated. It's unclear whether PO is superior to topical, but we do know that either of these are better than placebo. And finally, functional rehab is a really important part of treatment, and we know that this can help patients return to work sooner, result in decreased chronic instability, and less recurrent injuries. All right, so all really good things. What type of things specifically are you recommending? Okay, so there are a couple exercises here, and they focus on restoring range of motion, strength, and proprioception. You can direct patients to dorsiflex, plantar flex, and form foot circles, as well as toe curls. Directing them to invert and evert their ankle as well may be helpful as long as they're not performing movements that reproduce pain. For proprioception, you can have them balance on one of those wobbly boards or draw out the ABCs with their big toe. And they should continue these exercises until they're able to return to activities at full capacity and without pain. Okay, so that's rehab and an important part of the discharge instructions that I think often gets overlooked. We will include a handout in the show notes that you can print up and give to your patients as they leave your ER. And how should we be approaching immobilizing these patients? Who needs what? Excellent question, Brian. We've been learning that immobilization is not totally benign, and it obviously limits a patient's ability to participate in this exercise I mentioned earlier. So for grade one, that's easy. No need for mobilization. You can maybe put an ACE wrap on there if you're feeling generous. For grade two, an air cast brace is probably the best option and it ensures the patient knows that they should still be partaking in rehab exercise. Finally, for the grade three sprains, the data conflicts. 
There's a multi-center RCT in the Lancet a few years back that took a look at a bunch of options, including an air cast brace, compression bandage, a bloodzo and mobilization boot, and below knee cast for 10 days. The cast group did have the most improvement at three months, but there was no difference at nine months with regards to function and complications. So the bottom line is we don't know. It may be institution dependent, so ask your ortho colleagues in these situations. Okay, so let's recap. Grade one should not be immobilized. Grade two, get an air cast. And grade three is a little more unclear, and we should get our ortho colleagues involved. And if they're not available, then we could splint them initially. And these are going to be very nagging injuries for the most part. We're talking about four to six weeks before some can return to basic and limited function. Another part of the instructions for patients when they leave the ER with the diagnosis of ankle sprain should be letting them know that this is going to be a long road and the goal is to get them back to normal as soon as possible, but also to try to prevent re-injury because the rates are very high for re-injury. So I let them know that they should initially avoid heavy lifting and walking on uneven surfaces or anything that might exacerbate the sprain. Bree, what do you do about follow-up? Well, they should follow up if the pain or instability doesn't improve over four to six weeks. Also, those with grade 3 sprains and syndesmosis injuries should definitely follow up closely. Obviously, injuries that are associated with fractures or dislocations, and finally, one that is a little less intuitive, suspected medial ankle sprains because, as we said before, this is such a strong tendon complex, and pain there may actually represent an underlying fracture that went undetected in the ED. Yeah, with something we see so commonly in the ED, it's good to take a deep dive and see what we know and what we don't know and how to best take care of these patients. Want to play us out with some take-home points, Bree? Yeah. So, one, ankle sprain is a very common injury, and the ATFL will be the afflicted tendon in most cases. Two, the grading system is important for classifying these injuries and determining how to best treat them. Three, applying our Ottawa anchor rules and making sure we don't miss a mesonerve fracture are important components of the exam. Four, rice, NSAIDs and functional rehab can be recommended for all injuries. Don't immobilize grade 1 sprains, give an aircast to grade 2, and grade 3 management should involve our ortho colleagues, but if they aren't available where you're at, split the patient initially until they're able to follow up with ortho clinic. And finally, it's going to take a really long time for most of these patients to return to their baseline, so make sure they know that. Not all patients need ortho follow-up, but there are a select few who may benefit from ortho clinic visit. That's all for this episode. Continue to follow us on Twitter at core underscore EM and visit us on our website, coreem.net. Until the next one, this is Brian and Bree signing off.